This podcast episode is with Suresh Ramaswamy. Suresh is a transformational coach. He's a, a spiritual thought leader, I'd suggest. Um, you can tell when you talk to him that the guy isn't just repeating what he's read. He's been there. He's got clarity. Uh, he uses some great analogies as well. We spoke about um, the mind, consciousness, death, uh, and, and the importance of the contemplation of dying. Um, no self, dis- different philosophies and how things hold you back, uh, pitfalls on the path. Uh, really enjoyed talking to him. Let me know what you think of the conversation in the comments below. Enjoy the conversation. Suresh Ramaswamy, thank you for joining me. Delighted to be here. Uh, it's a real pleasure. Suresh, tell me a little bit about your uh, your background and your history. How have you got to the point of um, you know you, you teaching and and spirituality and consciousness? Okay, <laughs> yeah, that's a big question, and I'm gonna be necessarily a little. Uh, uh, I'll condense it a lot. Yeah, sure. And uh, if there's something in particular interesting, we could definitely dive into that. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it's spirituality consciousness has been always super interesting. Uh, and it, it started in my early teen years, uh, but it showed up as not so much interest in consciousness, but as dissatisfaction with the prevailing view of things. Uh, the conditions were actually very good. I was, uh, you know, had a wonderful family, uh, great school, great friends. So nothing much to complain about. And by the way, I, I was born and grew up in India. So this was in a big city in India. Um, but as I started thinking, uh, it was very uh, clear to me that what the textbooks were saying and what the usual, you know, media and so on, authority figures were saying was just not sufficient. It's not satisfying. And so the response to that was feeling a little bit uh, downcast, feeling a little like, oh gosh, is this all there is to life? Uh, So that's where it was. And now, luckily, I stumbled across some books that really opened my eyes. So these were books on spirituality, and they were specifically books written by mystics. So these were not philosophers talking about, we think this is how it works. These were people who had actually dedicated their life and who had tasted this this higher consciousness. So that really got me. I mean, I could feel something in these writings, and I knew this is what I'm looking for. So that was very, very clear. So right from then on, maybe I was 15, 16, I was always... um, privately, all my time was focused on delving deeper into these truths. So, of course, all these mystics, they say, you got to meditate. So, sure enough, I would meditate, or I would really, I should say, I just tried meditating, and it was like pretty hopeless. I mean, I was just basically sitting and like, this can't be meditation. So, this is very, uh, how much, how it is in the beginning. Now, I'm going to fast forward quite a bit because that intensified more and more uh, over the years. Um, And what I started doing, I think, in my early 20s is I felt like, boy, this daily meditation is not going to get me anywhere. I've got to 
really crank it up. So what I started doing is I started looking at uh, the most intensive meditation retreats in the country. And by that time, I was actually in the United States. So I was I had moved to the U.S. to pursue higher studies. So I was looking and saying, where are these intensive retreats, which are, which are going to be very painful because you know, you're doing 10, 15 hours of meditation every day and you're not used to it, it's going to be painful. But I decided that's really what I needed because uh, otherwise nothing's going to happen. So I did find these retreats. Sometimes they were Zen retreats, uh, sometimes whatever tradition they were in. To me, it was like they're all about ultimately the same thing. So I would go to these retreats and sure enough, it was terrible in the sense that it was punishing. It was very brutal. Mm. Everything hurts. And all you can think of is, when will this get over? Uh, <laughs> forget higher consciousness, right? <laughs> forget all that stuff. But you know what? It, it was actually really good because I got to know myself. So when you really sit for hours and hours and hours, you got to go past boredom. You go to go past all your physical pains. You got to go past a lot of the psychological content because the psychological content, uh, there's a lot of stuff which is can obscure uh, what's going on and obscuring the truth. So a lot of cleanup was happening, although it didn't feel like that in reality. So, Again, I'm going to fast forward a lot more. So I, I would do these retreats quite a, quite a bit, uh, as much as I could, basically. And then I actually started having a practice. I was having a daily practice all these years, but now it started to actually get some momentum. You feel the traction when you meditate and you mean business. Mm. There's a difference. So that started happening probably in my mid to late twenties. And here again, I'm gonna fast forward another you know, decade or so. And now, even though if you were to ask me, is anything going on? I would say probably not a whole lot. It seems like I'm mostly in my ordinary consciousness, but in fact, what happens is these incremental shifts in your consciousness is change your baseline. And the baseline changes, you still feel like, oh, this just feels like ordinary consciousness. But compared to 10 years back, 20 years back, you can be in a very refined state of consciousness. But it feels natural. It feels ordinary. It doesn't feel like, yeah. whoa, this is something. And this is, I think, very significant. So stuff was happening, but I was seeing it as nothing's going on. And then at some point, I think things really accelerated. Um, I started doing longer meditations regularly. So when I say longer meditations, I'm talking six plus hours on a weekly basis. And suddenly it's as if the intensity of the inner light, it was cranked up suddenly dramatically. So suddenly you find a different, you're living in a different reality. It's like there's light everywhere and you are, you know, walking through this universe of light. So your perception changes, your understanding of reality changes and everything, let's say, is, is quite different from then on. So 
I'll leave it at that. So you've mentioned light there a lot. What do you mean by that? Okay. Yes. So typically we are familiar with the physical light, which is what we perceive with our eyes, which is the electromagnetic spectrum, mm -hmm. uh, the portion of the spectrum that we can perceive as, as light. And that's great because that is very much a great metaphor for even the higher aspects of light. So as we go from beyond the physical to the non-physical, you're looking at the underlying reality, the underlying blueprint for the physical reality. So even though here we see physical light, underlying the physical light is transcendental light. So transcendental light is, is not the ordinary electromagnetic spectrum. Transcendental light is, you could call it as high frequency vibrations. Uh, you could initially encounter it as energetic component of reality. But then as you go even higher, it goes beyond the energetic component and it's pure light. So another way of thinking about it is imagine when there's no manifest creation, no manifest reality. So prior to creation, there's just pure consciousness. There's pure consciousness, pure intelligence. And from that is conceived what we look at today as creation. And that conception, when it comes forth, it comes forth as light. It's a pure high vibration. The pristine vibration from which everything we can think of is derived. Everything we can think of is derived from that. So that's what I call as uh, the highest frequency of light, which is the light of infinity itself. So it's like infinity when it went from the unmanifest to the manifest, there was this pure light. And from there, you've got more and more manifest light all the way down to what we see as physical, which in fact is also light. You could think of it as frozen light is physical objects. You could think of liquid light as being energetic. And you can think of pure vaporous etheric light as being pure light. So that's a little bit of the cosmology about light. It, did, would you perceive what you've just said to me as knowledge? So knowledge is an interesting thing. When we when we first navigate... Can I, Suresh, let me just ask, tell you why I asked that question. Okay, yeah, please. Because you, you said you did a lot of meditation and yes. you, you said the, the phrase inner light. Mm -hmm. So what I took from inner light was like an inner sense of knowledge, like an intuition uh, that can't be sort of read in a book or... Yes. Okay. So that's yeah, where absolutely. we come from. Mm. Absolutely. So I would differentiate it as, as direct knowing and direct intuition. Yes. Uh, knowledge is often secondhand and derived. Mm. And so not so much that it's really the direct knowing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Okay. So of, on your website, you talk about transmission. Uh -huh. And you and I've heard that uh, of light transmission. Is that merely when you're in the surrounding of an of a person, or could it be a, a book or or something else where something is transmitted? What do you mean by that? 
Yes. So in fact, um, we are constantly being exposed to vibrations. And there's always this going on where, 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 you, where you sense a vibration around you and where through osmosis, you're picking up vibrations, right? So this vibrational transmission idea is, is very, like it's actually pretty ordinary. It's happening all the time. Now, what's interesting is higher consciousness and you mentioned transmissions of light this is the same underlying principle. So when you have um, a person or a being who is in touch with this light and is immersed in that light and radiating that light, that naturally spills over to the surroundings. And anybody who is in that field of light, who is receptive and wanting that, can, can pick up on that, can attune to that, and they themselves will feel more light within their being. And I think for folks who are on the spiritual path, there is especially interesting because this light, it puts you in touch with your true nature. Your own infinite nature is so much more accessible. You know, that's why higher consciousness and light is so significant because as you go to higher consciousness, truth is evident. It's not something you got to go look up in some fat book. It just becomes more obvious. Whereas the lower consciousness, we have harder time going there. It's still there, but it's just more harder to access. So light to me gives us an incredible advantage because if we tune into light, if we attune to light either directly, which is fantastic, or uh, by being in the vicinity of uh, someone who is, is in touch with this light, then we, we pick up on that and we, it catapults us into these higher dimensions where we can directly perceive light and we can directly perceive truth. Because I think truth ultimately is goes well beyond philosophy, it goes well beyond mm. knowledge. Mm. And I feel if, if you were to think about intuition, what intuition means to me ultimately is not so much about having an inkling of what's going to happen tomorrow or uh, knowing who's going to call me in five minutes. You know, these kinds of things. True intuition is knowing your essence. Knowing your essence, because it is not possible to know your essence through any intermediary. You have to know it directly. And that is actually the highest form of intuition. Mm -hmm. So that's the only way, actually, to get to higher truths. There's no other way. Mm. So do you think that obviously you did a lot of meditation that was sort of the path you went down do you think that everyone who has i don't know some sense of awakening if you if you want to label it as such has to go through some sort of process or do you think that there is for the lucky few perhaps a spontaneous yeah. expansion a great great question alex thank you for asking that that's that's great so I have several things to say about that and, and feel free to take me down a different 
different path, if you like. Um, so I'm a big fan of meditation because it clearly, I felt, was a significant factor uh, in, in opening up my consciousness. So having said that, I'm going to say something that seems very paradoxical, which is no amount of meditation is enough to get there no amount of meditation. And it, it doesn't matter what technique, it doesn't matter what tradition. You know, I had to meditate a lot to find that it's not working. <laughs> I've been there. Yeah, and, and I'm saying that's really as encouragement rather than discouragement because you're actually still purifying your consciousness. It's not like the meditation was a waste. It's actually very useful, but you find that the highest truths, they, they don't really, they're not subject to any process. So you cannot say, follow this process. I'm going to give you something really good, A, B, C, do this, and you will find it. There is no such process. No such process, no technique, no procedure, no algorithm that will do it, including the best techniques of meditation. And so I found this myself, that it is very humbling because when you really throw yourself into meditation and you're willing to do it and you do it and do it and do it and do it and it's just not working. It's not working in the sense that it's not taking you to the very highest, deepest truth. It is working relatively. You do feel shifts in consciousness. But on the other hand, you feel like a complete failure because you're looking for the highest truth. You aren't looking for this and that at that point. And it's pretty clear you don't have it. So this is very humbling. And this is why I feel you have to go way beyond meditation. And we can refer to that in many ways. But uh, one way to talk about that is your entire being has to yearn for infinity, your entire being. And when I say your entire being, it's not just, I'm going to, I really want it, I really want it, uh, you know, thinking. That doesn't, that doesn't mean a whole lot. But when you are fully engaged and you really mean it, believe me, that is very different. You're, you're putting out vibrations of wanting truth at any cost. And this is not a small thing. You know, th when I see a person like that, boy, it, it touches me very deeply mm. because it tells me they finally have taken all their evolution and it's boiled down to this one thing. And that's the only thing they truly want. That is remarkable. That is remarkable when you get to that point. When you bring that into your meditation or any other practice that you may have, that ignites it. That ignites it. You are very significant. It's not just the practice. Who is doing the practice is very significant. So when you bring that love, devotion, devotion. yearning, mm. Man, magic, magic happens. So if you're, um, you're actually magnetizing infinity, so you're actually 
you're generating such a powerful force that infinity truth is drawn to it. And that's when you start really seeing what's going on. Until then, it's like it's like groping in the dark. You don't know what's going on. You don't know it'll take 10 years or 10,000 years. It, it feels like that. But boy, when the light within starts, it's like stepping into sunlight. You cannot deny this is there. It suddenly becomes, whoa, this is it. This is it. And then a whole new journey begins, which is merging into that. So for a period of time, you are in the, you could say you're face to face with the source of light, which is just remarkable. Um, and slowly but surely you dissolve. And as you dissolve and merge, there is only that light. There is only that source. There's nobody who's trying to get there. There's nobody who's trying to get there. So, uh, there's, so I'm, you know, covering a lot of ground here yes. and condensing it. And but I want to really emphasize that there is. You start. You asked about a, a process, and there is a process of transformation. And I talk about that at length in my book, Just Be, which is also significant. So there's a process of transformation and purification. And I talk about it as being three phases. Uh, transcendence, which is rising above the ordinary consciousness. So not just reading about it, but actually touching higher consciousness. Very important, because that tells us there is something for sure. You know, the, the, I don't need to read a book. I know it's there. Second phase is integration, where even though we touch this higher place, a lot of other aspects of our being are not quite there yet. So it's like there's, there's a split. So bringing all aspects of our being into the light is integration. And that can take a while. This is not an overnight thing. And the third phase is embodiment, which is you are living from that place, which is also very important because you have to demonstrate that you can abide in that, embody that in the regular day-to-day -day life, right? Uh, with the ordinary, all the relationships we have, all the work situations we have, it's got to be embodied in that context. Then you really are there. So these three phases uh, would summarize the entire journey. Um, but we don't want to be too locked into the processes. They are significant, but ultimately you go beyond everything. Yes, yes. And when um, the work life yes. in that state, from your experience, did, did you have a radical shift in what you did? Or did you continue doing what you did before, just in a different worldview? Yeah. Okay, that's a great question. Um, so for many years, I worked in the field of software and technology. And of course, since I had started a, a spiritual practice that was always going on, uh, and the how it showed up at work was pretty subtle. So it wasn't uh, anything significant or obvious. Uh, I suppose it would show up as 
there would be less stress. Uh, there would be less of being caught up in an ambitious way of thinking. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, a little more laid back, you could say. Uh, so that was how it showed up. But then there were further significant shifts, uh, say in my 30s. At that point, I did go from, uh, my work situation changed from uh, a corporate job to being more an entrepreneur. So there was clearly a willingness to take risk, a willingness to go into the uncertain. Because when you start a, a new company, I mean, you don't know what you're doing and you don't know what's gonna happen. It, that's the reality. And, but not, not too many people wanna go there, right? It's, it's very like um, filled with uh, risk and uncertainty. And that goes contradictory to our tendency for comfort, convenience, and security. Uh, entrepreneurship is the opposite of that. It's highly uncomfortable. It's yeah. highly insecure. Okay. Yeah. And there's no guarantees. Chances are you're going to fail, right? Just statistically. So I felt that those years of meditation I did actually helped me because I was like ready for that. I was ready for that. And of course, it's still difficult, but something in you says, I want to go there because it's so important for me to feel uh, like I'm in charge of my destiny. I'm in an empowered place. And here was the key thing. I felt like even if I failed, which was pretty likely, that would be okay. If I'd really tried it and failed, to me, that was still success. Yes. In a weird way. <laughs> if I didn't even try and I stuck with comfort, boy, I stayed that way all the way till I retired. I think that was that would be failure mm. in my mind. So this became ultra clear to me, and so I made I did make a big shift. Uh, this was you know a couple of decades back. I went down the entrepreneurship route. Still in technology, I would say another fast forward another decade, and I made another significant shift, which was to focus on transformation, not just for myself, but to be more sharing it publicly, uh, to work with people one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, I started teaching a course uh, at a college nearby called Transform Your Life. So you can tell it's all about personal transformation, growth, evolution. Uh, so these kinds of things I started doing and, and working more with people than technology. And so that evolved in, in the last, you know, 10, 15 years so that I became more and more of a public, um, you could say, sharing this more, more and more publicly. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, I wrote my book a few years back, and that, you could say, was yet another uh, milestone uh, in terms of sharing what I had discovered. Mm -hmm. I do think that the work, the work spirituality balance is is very often a struggle for people yes uh, people i've spoke to in the past and i've been there myself i feel uh, at the time my work i felt was a bit meaningless although it might have been fruitful in a worldly sense it was meaningless um yes. but and in my mind i was going no we need to be doing something uh, serving the greater good and all this yes. um but in reality i, I once that gave me that certainty and security, that would then free me up to 
do what I needed to do. Uh-huh. Yes. So that's yes. what I tend to see. In the, entrepreneurialism tends to be a little bit of, um, from my experience, that the more spiritually uh, driven someone is, the more likely they are to be an entrepreneur, uh-huh. in my experience. Uh, interesting. Yeah, I would say that it requires a certain profile uh, in terms of psychological makeup mm. and consciousness uh, to make somebody an entrepreneur. Uh, but I feel this work life and work spirituality balancing is going to look a little different for each person because not everybody is ready necessarily to go down the entrepreneurship route. Uh, and there are ways to function in the corporate setting where one could be more and more conscious, because I think we do need that too. So it's not as if, if you're in a corporate setting, oh, it's too bad. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, I think it's very possible. And in fact, I see a small to mid-sized corporations more and more uh, being more conscious and more aware. So I think those opportunities are increasing. Um, but also, I think for a lot of people, you got to build up to that. So I don't want everybody to think you got to make a radical shift. Otherwise, you're just not doing anything. I think sometimes it takes this chipping away, little by little, little by little, little by little. And after, say, three years, you've been chipping away, like internally, um, touching higher consciousness and letting go of limiting ideas. If you keep doing this, suddenly three years go by and you have such clarity about your future work, about how you want to work, or maybe it just means switching a job, whatever that looks like, you have this clarity. And I think that's when you make that shift. You don't want to make shifts you know, here and there just like that yeah. because you're frustrated. You got to do the work wherever you're at. And then you reach this critical point and this is intuition is very key because you t- you tune into when the universe tells you that you've reached a point where if you keep staying in your current situation, you, you're not really getting much out of it. You're really not getting much growth, much fulfillment, uh, or any even material success. Mm. So it's a, you feel into that, and then you know you, you got to make that switch at that point. You don't want to hang in there and be scared for a long time and let another three years go by just because you have a few more stock options that are not Western. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to hang in there. No. Once you have the clarity, you got to do it. And it may obviously look like just purely from a compensation perspective, you, you might, you know, suddenly have a drop. You know, that's, that's okay. As long as you're tuned in to the grander, the grander picture, you know? So that's what I would say. Yeah, you mentioned um, obsession earlier. Uh, uh, we used the context of truth at the time. Yeah. I see people who are obsessed to their craft and their art, whatever that is. Uh-huh. I see that as a wonderful pursuit of self-expansion and inner light, if you like. Yes. If you if you com- complete embodiment of anything, doesn't matter what it is. Yes to me comes across as, as like a, a natural unfoldment as if nature is, is doing the work. Yeah. Absolutely. Would, you, would you agree with that? Oh, totally. 
totally. In fact, you know, even though we you know we talk about meditation and it's very, very important, mm. at the end of the day, spirituality and higher consciousness and all this good stuff is not found in your meditation room. You've got to bring it to the world, to your day-to-day -day life. So in fact, people who are uh, very into their craft, uh, whether it is you know creating some work of art or even a software programmer, you know, there's tremendous uh, creativity involved. You could be deep in your code, in your software program, and that's art. When you are fully there, it's as if this reality dissolves and you too dissolve. You're not a guy sitting there coding, you dissolve. To me, this is very significant. This is very spiritual. And if you're painting or composing music, you become that. This is amazing. You don't want to overlook that and you don't want to be keeping thinking, I got to go meditate. This is good stuff. This is good stuff. So you definitely, no matter what it is you do, or, or if you're just a, you know, you are, uh, you, you feel I have a mundane job. Maybe, maybe I drive cars or drive a bus. It feels pretty mundane, but it's totally not. Don't think you have to be a Mozart or some such thing. You could be driving a bus or you're a, you have young children. It doesn't even feel like a formal job title. But this is very significant spiritually because your beingness, when it's fully engaged and everything else goes away, that's really what it is all about. So in fact, the pinnacle of all this business of spirituality, we tend to think it's some peak experience. We have it because we've read such things and heard something. You know, somebody went to the top of a mountain and had this brilliant, amazing experience. Yeah. You know, we're like, yeah, I want that. And we think that's <laughs> enlightenment. But actually, after the guy had that experience, when we went back and he's like cycling back home and having a cup of tea and doing chit chatting, I'd like to see what's happening there because that's when the beingness is apparent. How do you treat people in your life? You know, are you connected? Are you in tune with this reality? It's not just, oh, I'm in the light. You know, everything here doesn't matter. That to me is obviously a disconnect. So beingness is actually to me what I call that state. It's really a stateless state. Yes. Where you're always abiding in this place of isness, simply being, not being this or being that, but simply being. And you know what, Suresh? I think a lot of people take that as just sitting, sit, sitting on this on the sofa doing nothing. <laughs> and they think, oh, it's just you know maybe nihilistic or something like that, some philosophy that they've read. And right. I say to people, no, when you get completely lost in something, yes. that's the peak experience. Yeah. And and I, I talk, uh, personal development industry has sort of labelled it as flow state. I think that's like the new phrase for it. Mm -hmm. But I've been, I said, like, this has been written about for thousands of years. 
Right, right. And now they've just called it flow state and everyone's jumping on it. And I'm like, no, 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 just go and read that down there. That's right. Yeah, there's always this buzzword, a new way of talking about it and that yeah. catches people's attention and so on. But yeah, there's a lot of confusion. Actually, this has been there for centuries that if I just sit around, you know, since I'm, I'm already, you know, that, so it doesn't matter. I can just, I don't need to do anything. And you just said meditation doesn't work. So, you know, why should I bother? So the beauty is this, this state of beingness is not some intellectual state. So if you just convince yourself, yeah, I get it, I'm there. I'll just hang out. I don't need to do anything. And I'm pretty good at that. I can just hang out. I've been doing that since I was a kid. You know, don't do anything. Well, there's a big difference because the sense of identity is critical. Who is it? Sitting on a couch is fine. But if, if, if you are there, but not there, you know, if you're really simply present, then it's fine. And if somebody is simply getting this intellectually and they just sit on a couch, it doesn't work because life actually is brilliant. Life is, by the way, the best teacher by far. Oh, yes. Yeah. By far. Mm. Right. So uh, what life does is it'll present a series of situations which will get you out of that sofa very quickly because it'll turn up the heat. Mm-hmm. It'll turn up the heat and you can't just sit around pretending oh, I'm there. You will feel the heat and this will get you going. And this is the very positive aspect of suffering. You know, we normally as human beings, of course, we, we you know, we don't like suffering and you know, I don't like suffering either. Uh, but suffering by far is the greatest motivator I've ever seen because it gets us going. It gets us going. And so if somebody is simply lost in some sort of intellectual understanding, life will not stop. It will continue and it will turn off the heat. So sooner or later, we will be back, you know, pursuing the purer, higher truth because we'll know life will show us that we don't quite get it. So we, we will be forced to do whatever needs to be done. Well, can I take from that that you believe uh, that everything that's going on, uh, life is your best teacher, as you said, everything that's going on is a lesson towards that higher state all the time? Absolutely. I think everything that's going on uh, is, is really, I would say in that sense, benevolent. Mm. It's, it's really benevolent and benign. It's nobody's trying to hurt us or harm us or any such thing. And this is what you really start seeing when you start seeing more of the bigger picture, that there is a tremendous amount of love and compassion that is packed into every plane of existence. So we don't need to feel like we're stuck in some really nasty place uh, or any such thing. There is tremendous amount of beauty, love, compassion right here. So the experiences, once we get past a certain point, you know, usually we have a very strong, finite identity, a sense of who I am. And that tends to bump up 
against experiences and that hurts. Yes. But as we get more liquidity, as our sense of identity is getting a little more refined, you bump against things, but guess what? It doesn't hurt as much. You have started to learn the key learning. You know, we have such uh, crisp statements about all kinds of wisdom, but really this tells me what's going on. If somebody is liquidy and they bump into experiences, that tells me they have evolved quite a bit because they're constantly able to be in a fluid state and experiences naturally are not so harsh. Experiences become very soft. That's amazing. Whether it's a health challenge or a relationship challenge or anything, it feels soft. And then if we keep going further, then we, we, we evaporate. We are like gas. How does it look when you bump into something and you're a gas? It doesn't hurt at all. Mm-hmm. And that's the state we reach where experiences finally don't have anything to teach us in that sense. Experiences become simply revelations yes. of higher realities, no longer that hurts, that doesn't hurt, I like that, I don't like that, etc. There's no dramatic story. It's all flowing through you. And you could put it another way. You, you could say that it's as if the universe, as if infinity is able to live through you so that it handles the experiences for you. So since you are not butting your head, it doesn't get hurt. <laughs> it doesn't bump mm-hmm. you in the head. The universe is constantly taking it on for you. And this is a beautiful experience because you can see you go through something which is obviously very painful, let's say. And you know that at some point or time in the past, this would have totally you know, hurt you so bad. It would have been traumatic probably. But now it just goes through you. It just goes through you. And infinity takes the impact, so to speak. And it, the same thing that was traumatizing, traumatizing is now such an intimate contact with infinity. It leaves you in tears, actually. Tears of gratitude, uh, tears of feeling that this whole thing is pretty real. You know, this, the, what just happened, you know, is not something you just thought about. It, it is felt. Yeah. Yeah, self-identity is, uh, is, is a big one. Uh, you guys call it soccer over there. I, I used to play professional football here, soccer. And I had to stop playing at the age of 21. Uh-huh. And that was my, uh, as you said, bang, head against the wall. Yeah. And that was, I, I like pick, literally picked up a book at, days after that event. So it was, it was a fracture of my ego that made me pick up a book and say, right, try and fix me. Something's wrong, fix me. Uh-huh. And, that, and that's when everything started to peel away at that point. So oh, I love the way that you use elements as well. Uh, that's a great analogy, how, how you work with that. Um, yeah. Suffering. Obviously, Buddhism is big on uh, the... The, the quote, life is suffering. Yes. Um, do, you, do you agree with that, first of all? 
And, or do you think that it's more of, if suffering wasn't there, if it wasn't in the coding, we wouldn't progress, we wouldn't move, it would be a stationary plane. Right, right. Yeah, I love the question. Uh, love it. So firstly, I think, uh, you know, I think the first noble truth in Buddhism, it's, it's typically misunderstood. Uh, it's as if people hear it as, oh, that's too bad. Sounds like, you know, life sucks. It's all suffering. That's what it is. Actually, I see it as the teachings, the Buddhist teachings are saying, we get it. We, we get where you're at. Because the human experience, sure, feels like suffering. If you've lived long enough, you feel, man, yeah, there's suffering. And so it's acknowledging that sense of there's a harsh quality, there's a gritty quality, it's rough, it feels painful. And it's saying, we get it. We get it. We, we, it is acknowledged and understood so that there's actually, a, there's an onboarding, onboarding of people where people are like, oh man, I've been beat up so bad. You know, what, what do you have to tell me? And so uh, the wise teacher says, I get it. There's a lot of suffering. So I'm with you. I understand you. I'm not in some, some, some high dimension that I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah. I, so I feel that's a great place where people connect with those teachings. And then it leads to the way out of suffering. And that to the human being is a very appealing thing because they say, the one truth I really know is, boy, life sucks. It, it hurts. That I know. If somebody says, I can show you a way out of that, it's like, okay, I, I like that. So you understand me and you're showing me a way out. So that's, I think, very appropriate in that sense. And in fact, just to be clear, as you proceed down that path, you find that you're extricating yourself out of this suffering-laden life. And the suffering can't stick to you. As you refine your consciousness, the suffering is not able to latch onto you. You, you go beyond suffering. And necessarily, life feels much better subjectively, much, much better uh, until you get to even super high octaves of that, where you are feeling, you could say, you could feel, you could, you could say you're feeling bliss. Uh, you're feeling a sense of very settledness, a sense of great peace, if you want to call it that. So that's where it takes you. But going back to your question, um, I think suffering has an important role to play because if you look at the pure, unmanifest, infinite reality, and from there, more derived realities, more relative realities, more manifest realities, you see that there is a greater degree of grossness. So things are a little more gritty, a little more concrete. And when you are in that more grosser reality, there's rougher experiences. Uh, and what happens is, if we didn't have suffering, then we wouldn't know 
to stop and make a U-turn. We would keep on going, keep on going to more derived realities, more manifest realities, thinking, what else is there? Let me keep going. Maybe that'll, uh, is, that is the way to go. Suffering is an important part of the feedback control system that this creation is. So in a feedback uh, control system, you know, a part of the output is fed back to the input. And the input now is regulated so that the system is going towards stability and greater order. So what suffering does is, so there is a process where we're, you could say the process of involution, where we're more and more individuated and we think, oh, this is so good. I'm, I'm special. I'm unique. Oh, I love it. I want to be even more special, even more unique. We keep going down that path until we feel like, man, this, this is something's not working here because it hurts. Mm. Then we make a U-turn and the involution switches to evolution. Evolution is saying, I'm going to trace my way back to source. And suffering at every step of the way, suffering plays a very important role because the feedback tells us we're going off track. And then we're back on track. The suffering diminishes, tells us we're doing something right here. So we can keep going down that path. And we do find that suffering has dramatically reduced. And we find that suffering was previously attributed to outer circumstances. We find that all that suffering was mostly me, actually, which is rather shocking. You know, if you tell that to a person who is still going down this outward facing journey, they will be like, you don't get it. You, you don't know what happened to me. Yeah, yeah. You know, I grew up in this inner city and people beat me up. I was bullied. Then I got into terrible relationships. And then I had a, all these things, which seems all outer realities. They, they are like, I'm, I'm just fine. I didn't do anything wrong. But once you get it, you start seeing that actually, yes, there was some outer stuff, but I had the biggest role to play. I was the biggest reason for my own suffering and oh boy you know it's very depressing but it's also freeing it's also freeing that says okay now i know what i need to change i just need to change myself i don't have to change my family my community my country my world i have to change myself and that's going to have the biggest impact for me as well as for the collective. That self-responsibility is very often rejected, though, isn't it, by the ego? Because then it, 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 it's, uh, it's a sort of attacking itself. If, if, it, if it accepts that self-responsibility, it diminishes right. itself. So it's very difficult, unless people are aware of what's really going on in the mind, right. then they're just right. going to be living in self-deception and self-illusion. Right. So this opens up a great topic, which I think people will find interesting, which is, you're exactly right. The sense of self says, you know, why should I attribute it all to myself? Because then I am becoming the biggest problem. I don't like that. It's tough to make that switch. One of the things that's useful is if your sense of self is healthy, let's just say. 
So you need a healthy sense of self, which means that even though you you still think I am this separate person, you if you have a good stable psychological makeup and a stable environment, that helps because that allows the ego to relax a little bit and say, you know, I'm ready to take an honest look. Most of the time, we are not ready to take an honest look. Why? Because there's so many bad, scary things going on, and I'm not even sure I like myself. And then on top of that, you're giving me this bad news that I'm responsible for everything. That feels like terrible. On the other hand, if somebody is in a stable, loving environment, and they're relatively balanced psychologically, then we, we can say, okay, I'm willing to be honest. And I'm going to, it's going to be a bitter pill still to swallow, but I'm willing to take that bitter pill. So I feel like uh, it's for some people, it's important to invest the time to get to that place of reasonable stability, clarity, psychologically and in ordinary day-to-day life. Because otherwise it's a steep slope. Uh, Some of the things I'm talking about with you know, going making quantum shifts in consciousness, that's a steep slope. The reason it's steep is if you don't have this well-balanced sense of self, even though it's it's uh, it's somewhat misplaced sense of self, but it's still healthy in its own way. That gives us stability because when you make a quantum shift, don't assume it's going to feel like just bliss and light. When you make a quantum shift part of you will feel wobbly. You almost feel a little disoriented, a little lost. And you almost feel like, did I actually move in the right direction? I'm not so sure. This is all okay. It's all okay. Because part of us is still trying to get oriented. It takes a little time. And But what helps, among other things, is to, to have this healthy sense of self. Other things that help is, access to, of course, resources, whether it's a community, which is, uh, you know, talking about higher consciousness or a guide or a teacher, those things also help. Mm. Although, would I be right in assuming that the the sense of self that you're talking about uh, is actually a a construct? Although, yes, it, it serves it's got utility. It's a, it is a construct in reality. Yes. Yeah. Totally agree. Totally agree. So it's almost like um, these are things we will discard and the things that are not ultimately absolutely real. But we also have to respect the relative. This is very important. You know, absolute truth is absolute, but relative truth is we find ourselves in the relative reality. So you you cannot just shove it away and read a book that says, oh, absolute truth is the only truth there is. And if you do that, now you're going to end up with a split in your being, which you will have to integrate. You you can't just walk away with that. So, in fact, you've created a situation which you'll have to work through at some point. So, in fact, what I would recommend is you want to stay 
at a good place every step of the way, even if it is not reached the peak. You, you say part of me, yes, I'm somewhat lost in this reality, but it's okay. But you still care about it. It's still got to be balanced, holistic. Yeah. And, and, and so I, the phases I talk about, uh, which I mentioned a minute back, transcendence, integration, embodiment, I don't want to make it look like these are one-time things. One big transcendence, one big integration, one big embodiment. No. In fact, it's an iterative process. So you have a little bit of transcendence, a little bit of integration, little embodiment. Now you are at a better place. And then again, mm-hmm. again, again, again. So I feel if somebody doesn't have this more balanced development, they can do transcend, transcend some more, transcend some more. It's feeling great. Transcend some more, more, more. What has happened is a big backlog has been built up where it's not integrated. If you go and talk to this person and spend some time with them, you find that they're pretty weird in certain ways. They're very conscious sometimes. Other times, they are very unconscious and doing totally strange things. So this says they have not done the integration uh, along their way. So you don't want to let it build up. You want to, you want to keep integrating, keep integrating, keep integrating. Mm-hmm. So that wherever you are, you're still at a good place. So when you say integration, could you maybe expand on that? What would that look like? Okay, yes. So integration, in fact, is you could look at it as every single life experience is an integration experience. Why? Because there's gross aspects and something's happening. Let's say it's simply a traffic jam and you're frustrated or somebody at work uh, is not treating you well. You know, it doesn't feel good. There's a gross aspect and then there's a subtle aspect. These two are rubbing against each other. That's what integration is, is making peace such that this higher truth, higher consciousness doesn't simply stay out there somewhere, but you actually bring it to your day-to-day situation. In this case, let's say the workplace, or if it's stuck in traffic, you bring it there, it transforms it. There's a very subjective change in life experience when you do that integration. It's as if something in me which was pushing away, resisting it because it was not pleasant, it suddenly is gone. And you can still see, I don't know if I like this. Obviously, you know, I don't like this. Somebody's not nice to me at work, but it's still different. There is no friction from within us. You still say, I got to deal with this. I got to say something. I got to do something but there isn't this inner churning, which really is a lot of emotional suffering. That is what goes away with integration. So obviously I think human relationships are full of opportunities for integration. Almost every interaction, some things go well, some things uh, not not that good. (laughs) Somebody says something which, which just bothers us a little bit. Well, that 
to me is an opportunity for integration. It doesn't have to be some big uh, argument or something. Every little thing is integration. So as you integrate, you find that there is less and less that uh, fewer and fewer experiences that cause that sort of uh, emotional freeze up into finiteness. Because that's where we get caught up. We're saying, oh, I can't believe he insulted me. I mean, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I've been working and doing this job for 25 years. This new guy comes and he insults me. You know, so we feel like I, suddenly I am there. You know, previous day I was floating in non-duality. <laughs> now, now it's like, wait a minute. So this is integration. And, and so there's practices I talk about in my book, which I feel is very important because you don't want to just wait for life to present situations. You can do lots of integration. So there's integration you could do at the physical and somatic level. You can do integration work at the energetic level. I'm talking subtle energy, which I think is very important actually. And then you could do integration at the light level which is very powerful. So, uh, so there's many practices I offer. My, my book has got tons of practices in, in each of these categories, uh, which, which means that as a daily um, routine, we could do some of these things. And then life experiences, they become more of, here's a chance for me to show that I got it, rather yeah. than you know, oh boy, I got to deal with this. I got to integrate it. It's like, oh, look, I could handle that pretty well. And this is pretty cool. This is really cool because life becomes subjectively much more pleasant. And I think it's a beautiful byproduct of higher consciousness and integration. Because like I said, people are often thinking, I got to go somewhere. I got to go to for a retreat, you know, some exotic location. That's what will do it. But to me, it's what happens when you come back. That's the key. Yeah. Your average day is, is, is the key. Yeah. I think a lot of the, the spirituality marketplace, yeah. um, it's, it's full of that where people, it's like more of a dopamine hit than it is actually a, a transformation. Right. People go there, get addicted to that dopamine, right. and then they'll keep going and going two or three a year. And they think they're getting somewhere and doing something, but the reality, their reality, their life shows something completely different. Exactly, exactly. And, and you know, to some extent, we all go through it, you know, and all the things I'm talking about, all the mistakes, you know, I've made all the mistakes. So, you know, so it's not like uh, that didn't happen to me. There was certainly an emphasis, I think, for myself, an overdue, uh, uh, an excessive emphasis on peak experiences. Uh, when I got started with meditation, I was like, if I'm going somewhere, I got to have these experiences. Otherwise, what's going on? And it is, uh, it's, uh, it's not true, but that's what, that's what I was thinking. And it takes a while, but I think us talking about it means for a lot of people, a lot of viewers, instead of being in that mode for 5, 10, 20 years, in just a couple of years, you can get it. You could say, wait a minute, I'm... I'm I'm getting uh, too drawn to these types of experiences. I'm going to go for the true higher spirituality, which is past this experience-oriented uh, type of spirituality. 
where would you put cities on that spectrum? What you've just said mm. there in terms of experiences. Yeah. So cities, so uh, in case somebody's not heard of it, are these powers. These are special powers, like the power to levitate or the power to be in two locations at the same time. You know, these are not ordinary things. So as one hangs out in higher consciousness, some of these things may show up. Uh, and all, a common one is being the ability to intuit uh, where somebody is at uh, in their journey. Uh, you can intuit that. You, you don't really know all the details, but you get a sense of it. Uh, it's, it's intuition. It's pretty interesting. Um, and then, of course, there's many exotic ones. But the important thing is while these things might happen, they don't indicate anything. So, in fact, it is possible to uh, pick up on some of these things and be not anywhere close to true freedom, true realization. And so this can be very misleading because here's a person, let's say, who can levitate. And, you know, the average person is going to be like, wow, they can levitate. That means, I mean, obviously, this is something amazing is going on here. Nothing, no such thing. Uh, it doesn't mean anything, actually. So we don't want to be thrown off. And I think uh, this will become apparent, let's say, a few centuries from now, where more and more people are in higher consciousness, just, just like that. It's no big deal. And there'll be, it'll be more common to run into these powers. And we realize it's just not a big deal. It's just not a big deal. Uh, so first of all, so the takeaway is we don't want to chase these powers because they can become distractions from the real pursuit of truth. Second thing is, even if you have one of these powers, don't take it too seriously. It doesn't mean a thing. It doesn't mean a thing, actually. So uh, end of the day, it's really a curiosity. And to me, the big, biggest thing about Siddhis is it gives us a glimpse into the infinite potential that is inherent within all of us not in some special person out there who has some siddhi. If anybody has that siddhi, that tells me that points at my infinite potential, even though I can't do what he does. I think that's the most significant thing about siddhis. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. You mentioned in there then that uh, about in a few centuries, maybe people will be at a higher state yeah. as a collective. Do you... Think that consciousness is always going in that direction, or do you think there are rises and falls? Uh, if you look at the Hindu yoga cycles and things like that, yeah, yeah. So, um, if we were to look at almost like a stock, uh, you know, plotted on a graph, if you look at it, it's always up and down, up and down. Oh boy, you know, mm. it's fluctuating all the time. It's it's like that if you look at it very. At a, at a close distance. Hmm. If you start stepping away from it, and when I say stepping away, I'm saying we're starting to look at centuries, so much more than the human life. Hmm. Then we start seeing that it's actually steadily increasing, steadily increasing. So there's little bumps up and down, but overall, if you average it out, 
it's steadily increasing. So, and if you step away even further into say thousands, thousands of years, then you start seeing other patterns. You see, you see start seeing cycles where indeed it keeps on increasing for thousands and thousands of years. And then it, it does decrease too after that. So this is a much larger cycles. But bringing it back to, I think, what's going on right now, uh, I feel that actually we are at a point where the consciousness is increasing rapidly, even though that doesn't look like it in the newspaper, in on, on TV. Uh, it is, in fact, the churn, this churning uh, as that's going on, you pick up anything, right, whether it's countries or economies or social media or pharmaceuticals, you can pick up any area and you could start feeling like, oh boy, there's trouble here. <laughs> there's a lot of trouble everywhere. This is what me, what it means is we don't have any place left to hide our consciousness. We, we like to hide out for thousands of years, you know, and, and just be comfortable. It's gotten us into the sun. It's getting us into the light. And that does its thing. The light does its magic. If you simply hang out in the light, it transforms consciousness. This is an alchemical shift, which is absolutely magical. So we are being pushed into the light. And the consequence of that, to me, there's only one consequence, which is kind of what I said earlier. In a few centuries, the average level of consciousness, much higher, mm. much higher. And I feel, you know, the part of that which I'd like to highlight is we still have a very significant role to play, you and I, which is we can still be kicking and screaming and resist it. And we can kind of uh, have a much more turbulent experience, uh, much more choppy, much more choppy. And if that's what we want, that's what we get. On the other hand, if we proactively turn towards light or any other aspect that feels resonant for you, the listener, that can dramatically change things. We will shift and we will shift elegantly. And who wouldn't like that? I know I would love that. And I feel this is very, very possible. There's nothing that says that this shift has to be slow, painful, and loaded with suffering. No. If we let go preemptively and proactively of limiting thoughts, ideas, concepts, beliefs, and we offer ourselves, we yield to higher consciousness, as exemplified by light, which serves as a bridge, because the light, when you connect with it, it pulls you. It, it really, it's amazing. So we make ourselves available to it, and then it happens, because it cannot be thrust upon us. We have to go there ourselves. And when we do that, boy, it's, it's just so beautiful. It's just so beautiful. And I see this in people who have made that shift uh, that I've come across. 
it's 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 like beauty revealing itself. Their transformation is not this uh, full of bumpiness. It's beauty revealing itself, and mm. that's how it can be for all of us. Mm. Like a blossoming of of a natural state. Exactly, exactly. Mm. And you know, although we talk about some of these things as being lofty things, in fact, it's very ordinary and very natural. This is really how it gets to be when you abide in it and you have integrated and settled into it. It's not a big deal at all. It's very natural. In fact, most of what we think of as natural is unnatural. Mm. <laughs> the way we tend to operate tends to be pretty unnatural. That's why we suffer. If you're unnatural, you suffer. Do you think that's why there's quite a lot of um, what's labelled as mental illness? Do you think yeah. that is a lot due to the unnatural living that we're in? You know, people go to work nine to five every day and, and all yeah. that. Oh, totally, totally. A lot of our psychological and mental issues are due to lack of balance, lack of alignment mm. with higher principles. Because... The more you drift away, the more you're not aligned, you will start feeling it. In your physical body, it'll feel more uncomfortable. In your psychological states, you will feel more discomfort. You can't sleep well. You don't eat well. So you, it starts hurting. And unfortunately, our tendency is to adapt to the lack of alignment. So we say, you know, I'm so tired. I'm just going to watch... Netflix. Two movies back to back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to just do that. Uh, we start doing these things to numb ourselves because we're feeling the lack of alignment. And the right thing to do is to bring ourselves into alignment. But instead, we say, I'm going to do a maladaptation by doing weird things, by ingesting painkillers or ingesting psychotropic drugs or whatever your favorite thing thing to ingest is maybe it's eating a lot of pizza you do whatever you do you do that kind of thing in the long run is is going to end up eventually resulting in some condition which is could be a mental illness yeah and it could be all kinds of dysfunction basically mm -hmm. what role do you think if any, that psychedelics, maybe ayahuasca and things like that can play in this development? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, so certainly you hear more and more about that. And I think a lot of seekers hear, you know, about ayahuasca and it's like, oh, that sounds interesting. Maybe <laughs> I should try that. And I've been, you know, sitting and meditating and not getting anywhere. Um Maybe this will get me somewhere. So it's uh, it looks like an easy um, way to get to higher consciousness in some way, or at least an easy way to get to altered states of consciousness, which is which is a different thing mm -hmm. than higher consciousness. Well, I feel that in general, it's not a good long-term strategy. Uh, it's not a good long-term strategy. A long-term strategy requires you to maintain a sense of equipoise and balance. I talked earlier about physical, energetic, and higher systems. 
some of these substances, they can give us an altered state, but during that, you can compromise some aspects of your being. Some aspects of your physicality or your energetic makeup can be compromised. And when that's compromised, you still have some experience which feels like, whoa, that was something interesting. But later, you will have to go back and address that, that distortion that was caused within your energy field. It has to be repaired, it has to be healed, and it has to be overcome ultimately. Because higher consciousness brings with it tremendous amount of energy and light. So what happens is if there's any undeveloped areas in your system, they will get pushed. Yeah. Okay, they'll get pushed and potentially ruptured if they're not solid. And what does it take? Well, it takes years of those meditation where you felt, certainly I felt that way. I was not getting anywhere. Guess what? These energetic and light channels are slowly but surely strengthened and their capacity is increasing. So when it's almost like when there's a powerful downpour, you can handle it. Whereas if you've been ingesting things as over the years, you may find there's a lot of vulnerabilities in your system that in the short term, they seem like a breakthrough, but in the long term, there is a price to pay. So I feel generally, it's I wouldn't advocate it. Mm. Um, now, I, I would stop short of saying that, you know, it's always bad or any such thing, because there have been clearly times, cultures, contexts in which some of these things can be skillfully used just right when it gives you a little bit of a breakthrough just when you need it, but it but hopefully there isn't as much of a downside. But that's a very, it requires a lot of skill. Yes. It also requires a lot of development. And this is the part which I think sometimes people miss out on. They think I'm just going to show up and it's going to happen. But you've got to refine your consciousness quite a bit to take advantage of these subtle kinds of things. You can't just show up and think that the substance will do it or the facilitator will do it. These are two external things. Don't get carried away with that. I feel like you are the most important piece of the puzzle, not the substance. Mm. So the more you start developing a relationship with any substance and you start giving that substance power, that's unfortunate because you're implicitly saying, I can't do it. It's this thing that'll do it. I don't think that's ultimately true. So you want, you want to avoid that as much as you can. Mm. I remember, to cut a long story short, uh, I've done ayahuasca a few times, and the one time uh, it completely obliterated me. <laughs> completely. And mm. when I come away from the, the retreat, I couldn't sleep for a month. I had night sweats. Um, yeah. I had uh, paranoia, quite severe paranoia. Yeah. 
And it took over a month to patch myself back together again. And, and as you said earlier about the sense of self, to put that back together just so that I could function properly in the world again. So I, I do tend to not suggest it to people. Um, I don't put them off it per se, but I definitely don't suggest it to them. Yeah, that's a good point. So really, you know, what you're pointing at is there's this sudden integration gap that you're left to deal with to go back to day-to-day life. And sometimes you're just left on your own. You're like, I don't know what to do. And I'm feeling lost and unstable. And that unstable uh, aspect, there has to be a mature aspect of your being that can navigate you out of that instability. Otherwise that instability can take you off in some weird direction and take years to get back on track. So because of that, I feel uh, it's not just, oh, two, three days. I think I can take three days off from work and, and go on this trip. No, it's not a two, three day thing. No. Yeah, no. There's a lot more to it. Let's, let's talk about death. A lovely topic. Yes. <laughs> let's talk about death. Um, in my opinion, I, I believe we don't communicate enough about death and we don't contemplate on it enough um yeah can you expand a bit on on your beliefs i suppose around death maybe what happens and and our cultural relationship to it yeah so (laughs) death is a huge topic and i actually weirdly i think it's a fascinating topic uh and this is what i felt when even i was like 20 i was like this death thing you gotta you got to understand it, mm. you know, and I feel death is not something like, oh, I'll deal with it. You know, eventually I know I'm, di- I'm going to die. I don't want to deal with it right now. I got a lot going on. Mm. Death is critical throughout life. <laughs> Even though you're healthy and breathing, death is critical. So death is not at all, obviously, it's some dismal thing. Everything comes to a sad end and that's that's it. You know, in fact, first of all, it's not the ending. I think it's more like a semicolon, uh, not a period. Uh, Our existence continues. And this you can only see from your own experience. Because even take a 24-hour period in your life, right? You've died. Because when you go to deep sleep, you disappeared. Every one of us. We have no clue what in the world happens. We just disappear. And yet, we do you feel scared of sleep every single day? You're like, oh, man, I'm going to go to sleep. I'm going to go to deep sleep eventually. No, we. how do we look at it? We look at it as rest, relaxation, rejuvenation, a restoration to freshness. Because next day, hey, I'm going to have energy, fullness. It's all good stuff. Yeah. I think death is exactly like that. It's rejuvenating. Our existence is never in question. Our existence goes through. It's just that our conscious mind feels like it goes to sleep, so it's scared. It feels like, if I go to sleep, whoa, I stop existing. No, not at all. So sleep is something you you can look at. But folks who meditate, in deep meditation, you are essentially brushing with death 
and I don't mean to scare you that you're going to die or something. No, I'm not talking about physical death. Your sense of self is getting more refined, 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 so that the gross sense of self has almost gone. It has vanished. So it's like you've died and you're still there. You're still in your meditation. In fact, you're feeling expansive. You're feeling pretty good. Nothing is going on. You are tasting death. It's a fantastic preparation for the eventual physical death. But more importantly, it's putting you in touch with pure existence, which is what death reveals to us. Because death is one place we can't hide. Because all life, we can entertain ourselves, we can be busy, we can do this, we can do that. And then, boom, we die. And when we die, we all see, oh, wait a minute. I, I get it. This whole thing, oh, it was just a relative reality. It was so fun. Even that horrible accident I had, oh, that was nothing. So we see that, but we don't have to wait till death. Um, that's kind of the overall setting. But I think for people who are very advanced spiritual seekers, there's a very important thing about death that I want to mention. As your state of consciousness, as your level of consciousness keeps going higher and higher and higher, we feel that it's going to feel good. It's going to feel better and better and better. It's going to feel more and more blissful. Bring it on. I'm here. Actually, it's not like that. As you get past a certain point, there's certain, you could say, thresholds or boundaries when there's a significant dissolution of the sense of self, when one of those very significant dissolutions happens, it is perceived by the sense of self as death. So what do we do? What do we do as we're going, as our level of consciousness rises, when we start getting in the proximity of that, we say, no way, no way. That is scary. I don't like it. And that I never thought that was spirituality. I've read so many books and I, I've had my own blissful experiences. That's what I want. Not the scary thing. This is this can't be it. So we actually turn away from it. So this is the actually, this is the true death. See, we, when we physically die, we 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 of course go through some transition period, but then we're back on our feet. We get a new new pair of clothes, we get a new body, and boom, off we go. So we, we repeat that again and again and again. But we, we still have the sense of self from one lifetime to another lifetime to another lifetime. But here, what I'm talking about, the rising level of consciousness, when the dissolution of self is happening, this is truly dissolving who you are, who you think you are. So we may have lived a thousand lifetimes and preserved our sense of self. And now we bump into this threshold and it's like, I don't want this. I just don't want this. It's very real. And we, we are, our gut reaction from thousands of years is no, thank you. Anyway. Yeah, it's, it's pretty tough. So by knowing what I just told you, 
and by adjusting to that is there is an adjustment where you finally have to relinquish the sense of self you know it's one thing to talk about it in mm. another thing to really relinquish it because when you really relinquish it you feel subjectively like this is such a high price to pay i i don't think i want whatever that is i don't want enlightenment because this is a very high price to pay the price of entry is yourself we always think i'm going to get there and 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 we're not so this relinquishing of the sense of self is a deeply it's a big adjustment and you eventually if your consciousness is pure enough you say you know what i still I, that's what i want and you really mean it and then you you relinquish yourself you truly dissolve once and for all this is the true death your physical body is fine but you're gone and then you you cross that you go past that but it's like uh, it's debatable if anybody really got there because you 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 know you dissolve your sense of self so it's almost like it's, it's something gets there but you can't say what it is so you can never claim to go to enlightenment and you know put your flag that i made it you, you can't you can't make it <laughs> you just can't go there uh an analogy i like to give uh is is about if you think of the sun you know for us sun is the source of light mm. and life on mm. earth and sun represents the source of light with a capital l so there's like a cosmic sun behind the sun yeah. and the cosmic sun radiates cosmic light and so the journey back to source is like you get back get on a rocket ship and you are going to the sun and what if you think about a couple of things what happens is first of all to get free from the gravitational pull of earth it takes a lot right you can't just say i'll 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 make i'll jump and i'll be there <laughs> you can't this is the force of the field of consciousness uh, on earth which is very finite it's not a word in england in english but it's very finite centric it's finite so it tends to pull you but with a lot of propulsion and a lot of if you really want it you can get this rocket ship to take off and escape the gravitational pull of earth but even if you escape the gravitational pull of earth you're not on the sun yet you still have a long journey to go and earth is still exerting gravity you you even 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 though you're not on earth you are still fighting the gravity gravitational force of earth but it takes less and less propulsion to keep going until you reach a crit- critical point where the gravitational force of the sun which is so much bigger than earth it starts dominating the forces on a rocket ship you can feel it within your being when that happens it it may take years of you know working but boy when you feel that you feel like wow it's something is drawing me 
until then i am pushing 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 but now i am being sucked into the sun it's amazing and that goes on for a period of time because the sun is still at quite a distance but guess what as you get closer to the sun what happens you you don't have your nice rocket ship intact um the heat and light is such in- so intense that everything disintegrates into liquid gas vapor plasma everything you can be sure your wallet your beauty, favorite picture everything everything is gone and so you get to the sun eventually but what gets to the sun <laughs> and by the time you get there there's nothing left there is nothing left so that's an obviously a metaphor analogy, analogy. Mm-hmm. yeah but it it helps to see that no rocket ship can get to sun right and radio back with a selfie that here i am on the sun <laughs> here's the sun enjoy not going to happen yeah that's beautifully said actually so rashi what influences have you had in your life uh, in this context would you like suggest a certain book or a couple of books or or, or a guru or yeah so the role of teachers uh, i would say is very important uh, it can also be a source of confusion mm-hmm. <laughs> um i know for me the first books i read which were typically by yogis uh was incredible and most of them you know had passed on uh many many years back um but their their writings were amazing um and it's not as if there's this one book that i would recommend for everybody but one of those books for me was autobiography of a yogi by parmanso yogananda which is a classic uh everybody's probably heard of it it certainly i walked away with this thing is real it's it's not just some some beautiful fantasy this is real and not only it is real it's real for you so that was a big big uh, influence for me there were numerous books along the way uh but i feel many of my most significant influences have been i would say light infinity itself i feel has been my real teacher when i step back and look across you know the centuries um and infinity has presented certain resources that i needed from time to time but really in terms of a physical teacher i haven't really worked with like one teacher that i would say this is the teacher uh i would tell everybody find what resonates for you go with that resonance and let that resonance be a deeply felt resonance not just intellectual rapport not just that but a deeper tuning in because the best teachers are teaching well beyond the words and to really get what they're offering it takes that attunement and resonance so look for that quality uh in any of the uh, teachers you come across and i think that will that will take you to the to the best thing for you at this time 
mm. uh, because there can be teachers at every level. And I think all teachers you know, are playing a great role uh, in their own way. Uh, and when you're ready for a higher teacher, that will become apparent. Mm. I think there's always been a bit of a conversation to be had by various different spiritual people whether the role of a teacher is actually a hindrance or a benefit. I mean, a, a big influence in my life was, um, well, Jiddu Krishnamurti and Yuji Krishnamurti. Yeah. The two of them. And Yuji Krishnamurti is very personality-wise. He's like, that's how I communicate. It's like, boom, <laughs> very sharp. Whereas Jiddu is a lot softer and everything. And I was like, ah, I resonate more with Yuji, but I'm picking something up from Jiddu. And Yuji said, no, leave the teachers, waste of time. And Jiddu's like, no, you need teachers. I was like, ah, oh, my mind's going, which way are we going to go? <laughs> yes, yes. I think like any good resource, um, like take, for example, like, like food and nutrition, you know, is food good or bad? Well, it depends on what you eat. I wouldn't say anything you put in your mouth is good food. You know, there's good food, there's wholesome food, there's nutritious food, there's food just right for you, there's bioavailability, there's so many things. So I would never say food is all good or food is all bad. Or teachers, good, teachers, bad. It depends on what teacher you engage with and how you engage with them. So they need, obviously, to be pretty pure but your purity and clarity and intentionality is actually very, very significant. That actually is your biggest thing that you directly control. And that will make you resonate with just the right teacher. So you end up having a more positive relationship with the teacher and you take the best of what that teacher has to offer and it all works as it's supposed to. So you avoid the dysfunction uh, aspect of it. Yeah. What would you suggest to avoid on the path? Oh, that's a pretty broad question. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's broad, but saying uh, maybe something that many people perceive to be a, a so-called good thing. Got it. That, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, one thing I'll say is we tend to come from a very linear thinking uh, from our past, just living in the culture we live in, mm. where there's so much technology, uh, emphasis on education, a way of thinking which we don't even know we have. We think I'm very rational, I'm very logical, I'm very smart. That is actually a handicap. <laughs> because we get into spirituality and we bring that same mindset. And we think I'm smart. But actually, you can easily miss the gold that's actually there because of your mindset. So you have to be greatly willing to be humble and surrender your smartness in favor of a non-linear, unknown, unknowable reality which is unfolding in front of you. And it will feel like 
Oh, I don't know. Well, that's how spirituality is. You just don't know kind of feeling. If you're the kind who's like, I'm going to have a game plan. I'm going to make a turn here. I'm going to make a left there. Five years from now, I'm going to be here. 10 years from now, I'm going to have that breakthrough. And that's it. I'm going to start wrapping it up. You cannot have that kind of, you know, crisp, linear strategy. This is stepping into an uncharted territory for everyone. So the sooner you give up your linear mind and your addiction, you know, it sounds a little harsh. And and like everybody else, I admit, I, I was like that too. This addiction to rational thought, as if that will always give you the right answers. And that's always the ultimate arbiter of truth is totally wrong. Sometimes we don't know. We meet some great teacher, everything in us says, this is it. And then we go to the master consultant, which is our linear mind. And we ask our mind, this teacher, should I I go there? Think about what you're doing, right? You are turning to a small cog and asking it to make a critical decision. It's beyond the domain of the mind it will not be able to tell you that or it will give you some distorted answer. So stepping into this unknowable is very critical. So part of that is we keep saying, I've been at it for 10 years. I want to know exactly how far I am. This is one other byproduct of linear thought, which says, I got to know, am I... 10%, 20%, 80%. Some days I feel like I'm almost there. Am I there? Um, And I just want to know. So this is, again, something, even as you get further into it, you start realizing you you just can't know. you got to make peace with that, that you just won't know. And if you have had some handy scales, and there are some ways to measure consciousness that uh, are out there. I would say, keep in mind, these are all models. Yeah. Never take any model as being the right model. Because by definition, it's just a model. As soon as you confuse it, you start getting too sucked into that model. No model that I've seen is a full accurate representation. I actually felt at some point with like everything I had read and heard was wrong. I actually felt that. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay. I also realized that that's going to be a universal, common experience. At some point, everything disintegrates. That logic that appealed to you doesn't make any sense. And you don't need it. Mm. You feel like... Here I am sitting in the bright sun. Do I need to read a book which tells me I'm sitting under the bright light? Mm. I don't need to read a book. You get to a point where you know it. End of story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Suresh, I think it's uh, it's time to wrap up. I've, um, I've really enjoyed speaking to you. Oh, it's been a total delight. I mean, I can't believe um, we touched on so many things. I mean, your questions and insights totally remarkable I'm, I'm thrilled well thank you for coming on i do appreciate it where can people go to check you out in your work 
Uh, probably the best one is my website where you will find so many things, including my YouTube channel and so forth. Uh, let me also give you a visual of my book in case you just wanna look the book up. This is what my book looks like. It's titled Just Be, easy enough to remember. Uh, even if you don't read it, I think just the title is a distillation of a lot of things. Yeah. So just remember the title, uh, but you could do a Google on Just Be. Uh, my website is Just Be Book dot org just be book.org if you go there you'll find lots of resources beautiful again thank you suresh i really do appreciate your time thank you alex it's uh, such a pure joy thank you for what you're doing and for this great conversation thank you bye-bye bye-bye